0: Attorneys get a bad rap for being too costly, but by and large, many of them are here to help people in a time of need. They go to school for a long time and are educated, and most of them do well for themselves, so when we think about lawyers, one of the last things you picture is them being a killer. But alas, as we've learned time and time again here, they are human, and humans are undefeated in showing us that no matter your profession... Whether you do it for money or for the love of helping others, there's always a dark side to us. Welcome, guys, to our Patreon-only patrons video. Thank you so much for tuning in and the support. Hope you enjoy this video. Here are the five most dangerous lawyers you don't want defending you. Number five, Fred Tokers. In the world of crime and law, the name Fred Tokers is one you should be aware of. Once an esteemed lawyer, this man looks so trusting and prestigious, it's hard to believe his life spiraled into a pit of darkness and cruelty that transformed him into a symbol of pure evil. Don't judge a book by its cover, they say, and Fred is a good reason why. Before his descent into infamy... Tokers held a respectable position as a prosecutor in Atlanta, but ultimately his ambition and serious lust for wealth led him astray, transforming him into a private attorney who defended not just ordinary citizens, but drug dealers. From there, his practices swayed away from being noble when he started acting like Better Call Saul and actually assisted his unsavory client's. In concealing their illicit activities and ill-gotten gains. His secret life then took a sinister turn when his lovely wife, Sarah, unwittingly stumbled upon his criminal endeavors. Needless to say, she was none too pleased and pressured him to stop what he was doing or she would expose him. And Tokers was backed into a corner, and so he had two options. Stop cold turkey, which his clients wouldn't take well, plus his money flow would shrink or get rid of his wife. On November 29th of 1992, Sarah and her two young sons, Ricky and Mike, were coming home from a peaceful Thanksgiving holiday. As they pulled up the driveway of their suburban Atlanta home, they were met by a man with a shotgun. Curtis Rower had been contracted by one of Fred's business associates, Eddie Lawrence, and under the dim porch light... Sarah was brutally shot at point-blank range in front of her two horrified sons. Curtis was ultimately arrested for the murder, and he didn't hesitate to spill the beans about being hired by Fred to do so. During the trial, it was discovered what he had been doing for his clients, and because that was going to be easy to prove, they went for that first. In 1994, he was then found guilty on federal racketeering charges, and as a result... Fred was sentenced to life without parole. Three years after that, he was convicted of Sarah's murder, and then he got another life sentence. As Buddy Parker, a former assistant U.S. attorney, reflected on the case, he didn't mince his words. I called Tokers evil in my closing argument, and he was. I don't think there's any way you can think otherwise, having the mother of your sons killed in front of them. Despite his condemnation, Toker sought redemption in his own weird way, providing crucial testimonies against multiple individuals from the government whom had helped him with his financial dealings. He did other work as well, and ultimately helped solve six murders while incarcerated, though his contributions did not result in a reduced sentence, which was likely his real motivation. The once-famous prosecutor spent his final feverish days in the confines of his prison cell, his life ebbing away from what was suspected to be the relentless grip of the coronavirus, though an autopsy is yet to confirm the exact cause. In 2020, he died in a Pennsylvania prison at the age of 67. Number 4. Bruce Riley. in the hallowed halls of Louisiana's prestigious Tulane University, the bright and promising first-year law student Bruce Riley stands out. A passionate advocate for human rights and social justice in prisons, a gifted screenwriter, and the proud recipient of two scholarships, Riley seems, like any other ambitious law student, eager to make a difference. However, beneath the commendable veneer of his achievements, lies a chilling past that remained undisclosed until recently. Bruce Riley is a convicted murderer. The revelation of Riley's dark secret came to light in 2011 in an in-depth expose by popular law blog Above the Law. The news spread fast, leading people whom Riley didn't even know to seek him out on social media. Their curiosity piqued by his dark deeds. Acknowledging the public's fascination and fear, Riley took to the website, Unprison, and with eerie candidness, admitted, Let's cut to the chase. I killed a man 19 years ago. It was in 1992 when he was just 19 years old, Riley was picked up by Rhode Island Community College professor Charles Russell when he was hitchhiking on an interstate. They went back to Russell's home, where they smoked some weed and talked, A week later, Riley went back to the man's house. And as he was performing oral sex on Riley, the young man in a fit of shame and rage lost it. He grabbed a knife nearby and started stabbing the professor in the neck. The man fought back, though, grabbing a fire poker and trying to defend himself. But it was taken away, and ultimately, it was Russell who got beat with the fireplace tool until he stopped moving. Then, as Riley was getting dressed, the professor made his way to his feet and attempted to bludgeon Riley with a stone statue. But having lost so much blood, he was weak, and Riley took it from him before delivering the final death blows. After that, he robbed some things from the house, and it wasn't until a year later that cops, acting on a tip, tracked down Bruce and arrested him. Facing life in prison, he pleaded no contest to second-degree murder and robbery, his punishment, a 12-year sentence that he served in its entirety. While incarcerated, Riley studied and read about law. When he got out, he attended Rhode Island College before applying to law school in 2011 to which he got accepted at Tulane University, and this was right around the same time the expose was revealed. Revelations about Riley's past sent shockwaves through the two-lane student body. In a scathing open letter, an anonymous student voiced outrage at being compared to a convicted murderer in the admissions process. They questioned the wisdom of offering scholarships to such an individual and expressed fear that the stressful law school environment might trigger Riley's violent past endangering his fellow students. In a stoic response to the mounting concerns, Riley penned a letter of his own expressing understanding for his classmates' apprehensions. He wrote, This is yet another opportunity for society to learn that we need everybody involved if we are truly going to build a strong and equitable community. Tulane University, despite the uproar, did not address Riley's specific situation. However, David Meyer... Dean of Tulane's School of Law, issued a statement outlining their admissions process, emphasizing the consideration of a candidate's character, life story, and academic qualifications. Riley has been forthright about his crime, noting, with a painful honesty, For the last 19 years I've had to come to grips every day with the terrible thing I've done. I took a man's life. How can I possibly brush that off or make up for it? In prison, he found solace and purpose in law, leading him to become a fervent advocate for prisoners' rights upon his release. In his pursuit of redemption and rehabilitation, Riley remained steadfast in his goal of obtaining his law degree, asserting, "By the time I apply to a state or federal bar, my last criminal activity will be as a teenager, and over two decades past, I will be presenting a model case for rehabilitation." an impressive resume, and a substantial list of esteemed supporters. Number 3. Brian Schmidt In the heart of Fulton County, Georgia, a tale of terror unfolded that shook the community, proving once again that even the most mundane incidents can spiral into nightmares. The narrative involves a high-powered attorney and a respected real estate investor whose lives tragically intersected on a sunny afternoon in Sandy Springs. Attorney Brian Schmidt was a man of prestige and power, his reputation echoing through the halls of justice. But underneath, a much darker persona lay, a rage inside just waiting for the perfect moment to be set free. That fateful day, the unsuspecting target of his rage was Hamid Jahangard a 60-year-old real estate investor who had amassed wealth and recognition over his career. On the evening of July 30th, 2019, Jahangard found himself bouncing a golf ball in the driveway of his Sandy Springs home, his mind engrossed in a phone conversation. The innocent pastime turned problematic, though, when the ball bounced into the road just as Schmidt's luxurious Mercedes whirred by and it hit the car. Rather than shrugging off the minor occurrence, Schmidt's fury ignited full throttle. He made a U-turn, accusing Jahangard of deliberately hurling the golf ball at his car. The confrontation then spiraled out of control, ultimately leading to a catastrophic moment of violence. Schmidt, locked in his uncontrolled rage, steered his Mercedes directly towards Jehangard. The collision was swift and brutal, breaking the man's left leg and fracturing his skull. Despite the desperate efforts of medical staff at North Fulton Hospital, Jehangard succumbed to his injuries on August 2nd. His life ended as a result of a single golf ball mixed with road rage. The trial that followed was shrouded in controversy and heartache. Schmidt, maintaining his innocence, claimed he had merely misjudged the turn of his car's turning radius asserting that it was a tragic accident rather than a calculated act of violence. Yet the prosecutors painted a different picture, one where Schmidt lied about Jahangard's actions to divert the blame and mislead investigators about his true intentions. In a battle of forensic science, both sides presented expert testimony from accident reconstruction experts. The consensus was that once Schmidt started his fatal turn towards Jahangard, A collision was unavoidable, thus cementing the perception of this horrifying act as a deliberate choice, not a mere mishap. In the end, justice reared its head, albeit at a great cost. Schmidt was convicted on all counts, including felony murder and aggravated assault. His punishment? Life in jail without the possibility of parole. Number two. Roy Den Hollander Roy Dan Hollander is a name you may have heard of because it paints the picture of a man whose life of seeming normalcy veered into a grim finale marred with violence and death. Born on September 26 of 1947, Roy grew up in the modest town of Midland Park, New Jersey eventually climbing the academic ladder to graduate from George Washington University Law School and later earn an MBA from Columbia Business School. Despite his respectable credentials, Hollander was not your average attorney. While working for prominent institutions like the Office of Chief Counsel of the Internal Revenue Service and the prestigious law firm Cravath, Swain & Moore, he allegedly led a clandestine life as a private investigator in Russia. He was also a self-proclaimed men's rights activist. His name was often associated with several unsuccessful sex discrimination lawsuits against seemingly innocuous ladies' night promotions and Columbia University's women's studies classes. This outspoken anti-feminist, who once graced the screens of the Colbert Report, and Fox News' that. Neil Cavado was known to harbor food. bitter resentment towards women and oh, female oh, judges. Really His sexist and misogynistic views laid bare in thousands of pages of online writings. Hollander's narrative then took a darker turn in 2015 when he challenged the constitutionality of the military's male-only draft in a lawsuit. The case fell under the purview of Judge Esther Salas, While the judge didn't entirely side with his arguments, he began to suspect her of political interference, nursing a grudge that would ultimately have devastating consequences. By 2019, his health had begun to decline. He was diagnosed with terminal melanoma and even handed over his draft case to a team of fellow lawyers. His prognosis was grim, and then, once a boisterous advocate, was fading away. However, He did not fade out peacefully. On July 11, 2020, a horrifying incident took place. Mark Angelucci, a fellow lawyer and leader of the National Coalition for Men, was brutally shot dead at his front door in Cedar Pines Park, California. The killer posed as a delivery man, vanishing as swiftly as he had appeared. Eight days later, another tragedy ensued. When an assailant disguised as a FedEx delivery man attacked the family of Judge Esther Salas in New Jersey, killing her son Daniel and seriously wounding her husband Mark. A terrifying pattern began to emerge, and on July 20th of 2020, Hollander was then found dead outside of a rental car from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Inside his car, a list of targets was found which included the names of Judge Salas and Mr. Angelucci. Authorities were quick to connect the dots, and the weapon found with Hollander was the same caliber as the one used in both the California and New Jersey shootings. Dan, once an advocate of men's rights, had descended into a violent end, leaving a trail of devastation in his wake. His actions have left a dark shadow over his name, transforming him from a controversial attorney into a suspect in a series of cold-blooded murders. He probably would have done more, but the guilt was so profound, and his body dying on him, that he just decided to end it. Number one, Serge Jerome. At 33 years old, Serge Jerome was known around the community as a reputable attorney, providing legal guidance to those in need. He was a good man amongst the people, looking to help others. Or at least, that's what they thought. Until one evening when a woman seeking Jerome's legal expertise invited him over to her home for a consultation. But what should have been a routine meeting to discuss her case soon turned into a nightmarish encounter that would leave the town and the local police stunned. As reported by Fox 5 Atlanta, Sergeant Salvador Ortega, the Sandy Springs Police Public Information Officer, was left aghast by the events that unfolded. In his 15 years of service, he had seen many things, but this case was different. They were meeting to discuss a case, he told Fox 5, the disbelief palpable in his voice. I haven't seen anything like this in my 15 years of police service. The crime, too gruesome to fully detail, was only revealed when Jerome was pulled over for a routine traffic stop on December 20th and then taken in. Unbeknownst to him, investigators have been piecing together a terrifying puzzle. They had found irrefutable evidence after doctors examined a rape kit and, after painstakingly retrieving phone records and engaging in an emotional conversation with the victim. Jerome, standing accused of sexual assault and aggravated sodomy, was promptly arrested. His request for bail was denied in a preliminary hearing and he was sent to the Fulton County Jail to await his fate. While the local community struggled to come to terms with the shocking news, another surprising revelation came to light. The State Bar of Georgia still listed Jerome as an active member in good standing. It was a jarring contrast to the horrifying charges he now faced. As the town of Sandy Springs braced itself for the looming trial, questions began to swirl. How could a man who was supposed to protect the law allegedly break it in such a grotesque manner? And how many more secrets was this once trusted attorney hiding? The case is still ongoing, and only time will reveal the full extent of Jerome's alleged crimes. That's going to do it for the five most dangerous lawyers you don't want defending you. Truth be told, this was a hard topic to cover, which is a good thing. There are not many lawyers out there committing murders and rapes, at least that we could find. So don't let this skew your view. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. Hope you enjoyed this one. I'll see you soon.